Welcome to the Mavens Do It Better podcast. And now, your host, Heather Newman. Hello, everyone. Here we are for another episode of the Mavens Do It Better podcast where we interview extraordinary experts who bring a light to our world. I am so thrilled today to have the lovely and talented and super smart John Erickson on with us today. John, you want to say hi? Hi, everyone. I'm so glad to be here with you and so thankful for you, Heather, to um, make time so we can chat today. Yeah, I'm so super psyched. So, And John, are you in Los Angeles today? I am in Los Angeles today. Yes, I am busy here in L.A. toppling the patriarchy. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm here in Marina Del Rey, and I got my hand up giving you a high five on that one. So that's right, <laughs> fantastic. Um, yeah. So everyone, uh, I met John through a mutual friend, um, and she uh, was featured at uh, the Women's March this year as a top speaker, and. Uh, that was super fun, and you were involved with that. Zoe Nicholson, um, our, our our mutual friend, and I got to say hi and tell everybody how you were involved in the women's work. Maybe we start with that. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, I love Zoe, and so yes. she and I go way, way back. Um, yeah. So in, after the election of 2016 and the Women's March movement was really, you know, just beginning, yep. um, here in L.A., I was able to meet two amazing individuals, um, you know, Emiliana Guerca and Dina Katz, who are the co-executive directors of Women's March LA Foundation. And, you know, they put on the march and I got in touch with them through our, you know, interconnected feminist circles. And they basically, you know, it was such a hodgepodge of people upset and wanting to do something and take action. And we didn't know what it was going to be or how many people would show up. And I ended up programming the opening stage and running it and being a lead there. And, you know, before we knew it, we were on top of a bus in Pershing Square. And like, I think it was like 800,000 people just like looking out at us just completely swamped. And, you know, and I continued on with it the next year mm-hmm. um, in that official role and programmed the opening stage yeah. um, and, again, did it this year um, at Pershing and, you know, just a part of that whole board and team of really making a difference and organizing. I think it was over 1.5 million in the last three years, wow. um, but definitely one of the, the largest march in, you know, California history. But then I believe the Women's March total is the largest march ever. Yeah. Um, period. Absolutely. Yes, with those foundations back 100 years ago with the original, original Women's March, which I learned all about from our friend Zoe. So, yeah. 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 The so, original march on Washington. Yep, absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah, I loved seeing you there this year and being a part of that along with Zoe. It was really powerful um and you have uh an interesting day job and uh and i I think it's gotten more interesting uh in the recent past and especially (laughs) this week um as the director of public affairs at planned parenthood la um so will you tell everybody one maybe how you got into that role and then also what it is that you do for the organization that would be cool. Yeah, you know, I hear, um, at, you know, Planned Parenthood Los Angeles, you know, we, 
as an organization have been fighting for reproductive health care for quite some time here in LA and making it a priority and providing the critical services that we see that are under attack um, currently um, with the attacks on Roe v. Wade, but, you know, the state attacks, you know, banning abortion outright, like we saw in Alabama um, or Georgia and other places. And so I got involved through Planned Parenthood, honestly, through activism when I was a master's student and then through a lot of my feminist circles and got to know the team here and always worked and interacted with them, yeah. you know, and was involved and they really approached me a few a year ago mm. and you know offered me the ability to come you know work at my dream job and it really is a dream job and so i sit here every day and you know making sure you know um our health centers our doors stay open we have policy um that is effective and pushes you know for further expansion of access to care and the services we offer and then you know um politically on the c4 side you know separately you know making sure that we you know elect and women's health care champions up yep. and down the ballot um as well as across the country with the amount of power that we have here in la so my role is very multifaceted and it's never not busy um <laughs> and it's never not interesting and honestly it's always I always feel it's sometimes cliche, cliche to say this, but when you can really wake up every morning, even no matter how tired you are, and you can say you love what you do, you're, you're very blessed. And I, I'm fortunate enough to be in that situation. Absolutely. And, you know, I know most people and a lot of our listeners are going to have a very clear vision of Planned Parenthood. But will you talk about just a little bit about how Planned Parenthood, like a little bit more expansion on when you talk about reproductive rights and reproductive health, what, what that encompasses uh, at, say, a Planned Parenthood facility. I think that would be great to know. Yeah, so definitely. So, you know, when we talk about access to reproductive health care or health care in general, um, you know, a lot of a lot of aspects can and can come up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so since 1965 here at Planned Parenthood Los Angeles, we have provided convenient and affordable access to a comprehensive range of really quality reproductive health care and sexual health care information through direct patient services, education and advocacy. And, you know, we're really made up of those three areas, health services, education and advocacy. Right. You know, in terms of health services, when you look at reproductive health care, abortion is reproductive health care and abortion is health care. Um, so that is a service that we do offer. Um, but in addition to the other health services that we offer, such as STI testing, HIV AIDS testing, cancer cancer screening referrals um cervical cancer tests um you know the work that we do all across los angeles county because that's um, how much of our affiliate what we represent to the educational pieces where we're in you know the schools and out there in the community providing sexual sexuality and family planning education to you know almost over 50,000 men and women and teens each year right um and then you know i think our advocacy side with what we do to you know secure and protect access to a full this full range of reproductive health care um oftentimes you know people are afraid to talk about these issues or they're uncomfortable or you know if you look at it from a policy standpoint the policies just aren't there yet and how we actually talk about sexuality gender identity reproductive health care and you know we help fight for that on the policy side to get really great laws passed um like 
you know, the California healthy, the sex education bill that passed it uh, a few years back that teaches all these things now in, in schools, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the, to the way in which we have to reframe the question. And when we look at, you know, what, what is abortion in 2019 with such all of the attacks, I mean, 73% of all Americans support Roe v. Wade and access to these services. So, yeah, you know, um, we really have to think about what our role looks like in this and how it shifts and, um, and but we're always going to be here making sure that, you know, our mission continues and that we fight on because people need our services so much. People utilize our services so much um, yeah. and we need to, we'll be here. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. in some places, you know, we live in an urban, a large urban center, right? But we also have all yeah. kinds of people at all kinds of different strata of, you know, um, uh, what they get paid. And, and I think in then, and then, then when Pl- Planned Parenthood is in other communities, you know, sometimes that's the only game in town for folks, right? I mean, that's what we're looking exactly. at. You know, we provide low cost to no cost, affordable sexual and reproductive health care, you know, here in LA, you know, because we've been able to work and all of our affiliates across the state because of all the work we've been able to do, um, you know, with our state government and with our local leaders and just, you know, being out there and how we approach all these issues and think really creatively and innovatively about them. People don't have access to these services. People don't even have health insurance because health insurance is still right. really expensive, right? Yep. Um, even though they're supposed to, but mm. you know, how can we make sure we're serving those communities as well as communities that are directly under attack? How are we serving our immigrant communities that are afraid to go to doctors or afraid to do certain things because of all the attacks on them? How are we servicing homeless individuals? How are we servicing members of the LGBTQ community yeah. that can't go to their regular provider and get an HIV test maybe because their parents pay for it and they don't want to see that on there? Right. We're there to make sure that we provide that service to those patients because it is exactly what needs to be done and that's why we do it yeah there's so much of our lives that is behind closed doors for so many reasons you know and if you don't have a safe place to go you will go to a non-safe place or you will just not deal with it right and i think that's yeah Yeah, totally (laughs) i mean i came to Planned Parenthood too because i was a patient right you know i'm from wisconsin for example right Uh so you know it's not it wasn't as bad as it is now although we're trying to get better um In reality, you know, I grew up in a very, you know, small, not, you know, crazy conservative town, but I grew up in a small town where, you know, I was afraid to, you know, get an HIV AIDS test. So I went to a Planned Parenthood because I knew I'd get the care and respect that I needed. And I did. And Mm -hmm. I felt safe and secure. And I wasn't ready to come out yet, but I was still able to take care of my body as well as other people. And so... You know, those are the types of things that are so powerful about all the work that we do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm from Michigan, so I'm a fellow Midwesterner as well. And I come from very small towns and my family as well. So I I know exactly what you're talking about. So, yeah. And, you know, and the work you do for the day job, um, but you you have so many other amazing things that you're involved with that I could just like laundry list it out. But um, I know that, you know, you're a part of um, Hollywood now and Stonewall Dems LA and the ACLU SoCal and probably many other things that I've even listed. Um, that's all part of this activism. And, um, and, and I love how you talk, talk about feminist, the word feminist, you've used that a couple of times. And um, I, I, I assume you would call yourself a feminist as well i i i call myself a very proud feminist yeah um, 
Right yeah. on. Me too. I need to call them a lot of people. Right? Yeah, that's good. We should all call ourselves feminists. Yeah. I mean, I hope we would. Yes, yes. You're, but in regards to, you know, feminism, men need to be more involved in fighting for women's equality. I think as you saw with, like, with what's happening with these draconian laws that are getting passed, like men love to legislate reper- women's bodies or bodies that are, like, non that are not a part of this, you know, normative hegemony that's out there. So, like, right. you know, unless you're, like, like white, heteronormative, patriarchal male, like, you know, of course these men love to, like, legislate the crud out of it, right? right. And so we need more men standing up and saying, that's not right, and I'm going to use my power, position, and privilege to make sure that these horrible laws, people, you know, you name it, aren't there. And that's not all of it as well. We need more men to understand that patriarchy, as I say, it is itself a concept and a really restrictive force that impacts men as well. You know, bell hooks and the will to change really quoted this about how patriarchy affects both men and women. Yes. And we see that with toxic masculinity and we see that with all these forces. And so, and also we we can't get to true gender equality if we're only focusing on, you know, 52 or 53% of the species, right? We need everyone there fighting side by side and working together to get those means, you know, but then also men need to check their privilege in the feminist movement, right? Yep. So I'm being president of, of, of the Hollywood chapter for the National Organization for Women, and that's great, and I'm so proud to be that the president and all the work that we do, but my e-board, you know, I try to make sure that they're the face of the chapter. I'm not the face of the chapter. They're out at events, and I'm, you know, just there lending whatever support I can through whatever connections I have, you know. I always want to try to create a more equitable and just society, and, you know, we really need to work towards that, and I think having more men identify as feminists or just, like, progressive in general Mm -hmm. are so critical to the future of the movement. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I know, you know, when working in technology, as you know, I do. And, you know, we I've been working a lot in the diversity and inclusion of many groups. And it is it, it the shift has been from the, you know, women in tech, women in IT, which is still there. But it also has, I think, I mean, I don't want to be on a uh, on a panel or in a meeting or that where we're excluding anybody. Because if they're not part of the conversation, you're just not part of the conversation, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, so also, uh, as so, talk. Will you talk about the ACLU SoCal as well? I know you're a board member there. Yeah, well, we actually have a meeting tonight. Okay. Um, so <laughs> the ACLU Southern of Southern California. I love being a part of this board. They are so crackerjack smart, um, and the ways in which you look at the aspects of how much of our society that we come to think of like normal right are being attacked so from access to care lgbtq rights but speech itself like freedom to say and do and all i mean all of these things that the aclu protects you know i signed up before the election of trump and i got elected to the board and you know ever since then it's just been one thing after another and we're really on the ground here in southern california doing so much work with all of our partners not only from a policy standpoint from the states but also suing across the border with all of these horrible things that are happening nationally so and really drawing attention to a lot of critical communities like our immigrant community that are being constantly harassed um and attacked and just scapegoated for everything and we're suing and we're winning um and so being on that board you know we really serve as gatekeepers and protectors of the thing that we call 
you know, I think one of our most inalienable rights, what we're doing right now, talking and, and, and right. being able to express our opinions. And, you know, some people, you know, give a bad rap to the ACLU for how and who we defend sometimes. Mm-hmm. But that speech is just as a critical is just as critical and important, you know, to protect um, at times when we may not agree with it. Now, when it promotes hate and violence and misinformation and all of these things, that's when we get into the nuances of the First Amendment, of course. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and it's just directly if it's a call to action to be violent. Um, but, you know, the ACLU of Southern California really sets these big issues up and we succeed at all the items that we do there. And, you know, I'm just so proud to be a part of such an amazing board. Um, I'm on the C4 board. So the political board in passing laws, you know, making more police accountable and making, you know, this types of types of transparency laws, more visible, you know, fighting for women's reproductive rights, both here in California, as well as across the country, um, fighting for immigrant communities, in LA, um, as well as in Orange County and San Bernardino counties, where we all know that they're still being attacked because of how, um, you know, Republicans still have um, control on local jurisdictions there, Mm -hmm. uh, to a whole host of other issues that are so critical that we have to fight for. I mean, so many organizations are suing, and so many organizations are leading the fight. I mean, we can all name, you know, several of them. But, you know, just to be a part of this board is is very exciting. Yeah, that sounds like it. Will you you tell everybody exactly what C4 is for those who might not know oh yeah i love talking about this actually sure so you know nonprofits are um traditionally um called what we um identify as you know 501c3s meaning you know they're non-electoral so they can't actually endorse or be really politically involved because it would make them a different type of organization that is something that they're not tax exempt from and yeah. all of the ways in which our lovely IRS system works. Yep. A 501c4 is an organization that is allowed to be involved politically and lobby and endorse candidates and fight for bills and ask legislators to, to support certain bills. Mm. A C3 can't do that, but a C4 can. So right. most organizations that are really large um, are just directly C4s because they're involved in political work. Yep. But for example, like with ACLU and Planned Parenthood and all these other um, organizations that are really powerful out there nationally, you see the differences in their names. So you see the ACLU Foundation, for example, that's a C3 versus, you know, the ACLU of Southern California. I I can't remember what the the C4 name is, but there are various um, ways in which these organizations are structured so they can be successful on all aspects. Because as you and I both know, it's you can to only be able to go so far when you when your lives are on the line or when your policies are on the line or what what do you need to do you know you need to be able to go the full the full way to make sure that our rights are protected and the c4 of many of these organizations do that yeah absolutely thank you for that that's great yeah because i i think that's sometimes like i people know about 501c3s but i don't know if they know as much about the other side so that's thank you for that that's awesome it's really complex yeah i had to teach myself a lot um uh but yeah it's um it's really powerful yeah and uh, right now we need a lot of them (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely i want to um talking about you know being a feminist and i know that you um have a lot of background in women's studies and um you are very educated and you you know you've gone to school your master's and your congratulations about to get your phd and become a doctor will you tell everybody about in what that's happening 
Yeah, so I will be a doctor. I hope by the time this podcast um, airs, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm finishing my PhD at the Claremont Colleges in American Religious History, focusing on um, the separation between sexuality and spirituality within the LGBTQ community from post Stonewall to the fight for marriage equality. And I did this through. Um, interviewing major stakeholders within the LGBT community from all walks of life and backgrounds and you name it. I was trying to get those interviews and really shaping um, around a core set of ideas that I was able to, I think, successfully to uh, portray. Yeah. And so I will be Dr. John soon. It's it's really weird to say that, but um, <laughs> it's, it's it's been a dream of mine. And at yeah. certain times, I didn't think I'd be able to do it. But here we are. Yeah, well, and doing it while you're working and living, you know, as well, right? I mean, that had to be a lot. Yeah, you know, I envy people in school. Um, when I got uh, my master's degrees, um, one in women's studies, um, applied women's studies, and then one in women's studies and religion, um, you know, it was so structured. I had to be in class, and I wrote my thesis, and it was two years. Wow. And it was done. But And then, you know, obviously, when you're in PhD coursework, you're at school, too. Yeah. Um, but you're also kind of living life a little bit more. Yeah. I was fortunate. I had a great fellowship and right. all these things. And so I was able to pick up a job where I really started getting into all these policies, politics and government at the city of West Hollywood mm. changed my life. Yeah. And, you know, and then I, you know, got done with coursework and I had to take my exams and my proposal. And when you're out of school and you have like no structure, like, okay, I'm going to write from 12 to four, you know, <laughs> and you're like running around like a crazy person and life is happening and all these things. Right. You're like, when right. am I going to write this whole thing? Yeah. Um, but you, you make do and you, you find time and it took me a, a year longer than I expected, but sure. oh, well. Yeah. Hey, but whatever. Uh, you're going to be Dr. John soon. So that's like, yeah. so exciting. Um, yeah. And New it, business cards are coming. <laughs> that's fantastic. I can't wait to have one. Yay. Also, um, I just want to say that like, yeah. you want to talk about like the basic levels of like sexism within like ac academia. Like there was this whole amazing Twitter conversation where like, where all these male scholars jumped on this woman for like on Twitter, changing her name to like doctor something, um, you know, when they have it too. And so like, those are the types of fights that like are even still going on. So uh, like if you're a woman and you have a PhD and you don't have it listed on any of your social media profiles do it, you earned it, you worked for it. You're doctor. Mm -hmm. Yes. Done. Doctor, doctor. I, I, yes. Wow. That's right. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, I, so you've been, uh, like when I was looking at, you know, I was I was doing my research, you know, and I was looking at um, sipping all the tea and looking at my background. Yes, I was looking at the tea, and um, I so you've been in, you know, with the Women's Center at the University of Wisconsin. Kind of, I, I love to know what maybe there was a spark or a something, a book. Uh, what was it that lit you up to go? You know what? This is where I want to go with my heart my career all that stuff can you go back and pinpoint maybe one or something that happened or a couple things that happened you could share with folks yeah. with your spark yeah I, yeah the, the spark probably really was my grandmother i mm. mean i grew up with a kick-ass both my grandmothers were amazing but my maternal grandmother name was gladys uh. um, ritzko um <laughs> the people called her sarge because um, she was in the <laughs> army oh okay um, so she was one of the she was a staff sergeant in the women's auxiliary corps after pearl harbor and you know when that influx of women joining you know the wax as they call them um 
happened, you know, and she, she set out on this whole life that I don't think she ever realized she was going to do, but mm. she existed in such male heteropatriarchal spheres and, and she conquered them. I mean, you know, anything about the army, you know, she rose up to many levels and, you know, was in charge of many sensitive aspects. And, you know, even on when she was older, she was such an advocate for older adults and how she, you know, was the first, I, I believe, female president of the Wisconsin Veterans of Foreign War. She had, you know, very close connections with all of these men in the army. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the governor, you know, the old governor of Wisconsin, Tommy Thompson, actually coined her nickname because of her involvement and he called her Sarge. That's how she got her nickname. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah. And so, you know, but she was a, a pillar in my community of Ripon, Wisconsin. And and so I saw this woman without realizing it, right? Because yeah. I'm young and naive and mm-hmm. watching Dawson's Creek or whatever I was watching. <laughs> um, and and I see this woman overcoming the world, right? And right. so like gender, and this sounds really naive, and but like, so when you look at gender parity or gender equality, like I didn't see it, but like that was, I obviously was coming from a position of privilege mm-hmm. because I existed in a world where like women in my life, like, rule like they ran the roost my sisters are incredible like they are i mean better people than i could ever hope to be my uh, my aunts are incredible i mean my mom is kick-ass i mean you name it i got it right right but you know and we all have that story we all have those people in our family that are so critical that shape us that's why like you know you know matriarchies and how they passed on this knowledge is so important and where we have to honor our mothers and you know everyone that comes before that and you know so I think my feminism roots were always there and I wanted to actually be a doctor, another type. I wanted to be a medical doctor when I was growing up because mm. I have asthma. So I wanted to be a pediatric pulmonologist, which is basically like an asthma doctor or a right. doctor that deals with kids, you know, lungs and all that stuff. Cause I went to them my whole life and, you know, I was at college and I was taking all these classes and I was doing great. And then I had to take like an English class and we read Tony Morrison's like the bluest eye. Um. And it sounds so weird, but like that did it. Like that was like the spark. I was like, wow, like I'm done with this. And, and activism and all these things and getting involved in my campus and, you know, being active and paying homage to all the work that was done. And I grew up with such a respect for suffragettes and women's history because Carrie Chapman Cat actually lived in my hometown mm. of Ripon, Wisconsin. And so, you know, I think of all these symbols and all these things that really kind of played this route to, like, get me to where I was. And they were just all there. Mm. Um, so that's kind of the spark that lit the lit the fire and then after that you know i think everything just toppled down um successfully yeah absolutely and you worked on the margaret sanger papers project as well yeah yeah that's so when i got done with my master's degrees i didn't really know what i wanted to do i applied to doctor programs and got in and you know but i was with a former partner at the time and you know, he wanted to move back to New York, but I got this great internship at um, NYU's Margaret Papers, Margaret Sanger's Papers Project, where I worked and helped edit and write on the fourth volume of her letters, I believe it was the fourth volume. Wow. And be there and work with the students and everything and really read her letters that were just incredible. Um, and because I had such a drive for women's history and one of my master's thesis in women's studies and religion, dealt with women's suffrage and women's history and radical women's activism and you know the 19th century right um 
uh, I was so drawn to Margaret, obviously for many reasons, but mm -hmm. so this just appealed. And so when I worked there over that summer and then decided I wanted to go back to school and move back to California, that's something that just led a part of that. And, you know, that's also why Zoe and I love each other so much because she loves Margaret Sanger and I love Margaret Sanger. Yeah, too, so. absolutely. And uh, for those of you who don't know that Margaret Sanger was one of the forefronts of, you know, the organizations and foundations that became Planned Parenthood as well, just to mm -hmm. put a point on yeah. that history history um as yeah. well so yeah that's so cool i i just i love watching all this do you sleep um no actually, <laughs> yes i do um not right now because like i have a board meeting tonight and right. you know, i have to go home and then write my just i have to continue editing i'm fiercely editing as we speak right um you know the project and getting it done yeah um and you know my whole family flies in tomorrow so oh my we, goodness um wow. and then you know work and everything else that we do um yeah. i i do sleep sometimes but yeah you know i think that as activism in the legendary ivy botini said this to me she was one of the um, original founders of the New York chapter of now, like when you think about radical feminist activism, mm -hmm. Ivy Bottini always comes to the front of the line. She designed the original nail logo, which is iconic and yep. is on all those rounds that you see. I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah. Um, she said something to me before she moved to Florida that, you know, um, sometimes, you know, in life we only get one great love and that love, if you do it right, is most likely activism and, you know, sadly, other things take us a back seat, and I think that's where I'm at right now with this yeah. love affair, with mm -hmm. all that we do. I mean, fighting for change is not easy. We sacrifice so much of ourselves, and yeah. we're so tired, but we get up every day because we have to. And I think that, you know, hopefully long, long, long down the road, um, you know, if when I pass on into the realm of the goddess, um, you know, <laughs> yes. uh, that, you know, if I don't, I want to just know that I did everything I can to make the world a better place and better yeah. place for my nieces and nephews who live in Wisconsin, for mm -hmm. my sisters, for my friends and yeah. people that I meet. And, you know, and I think if I can do that, I guess that's a life worth living. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, I, the, I just always, I feel an urgency, you know, like I feel an urgency and something, um, Zoe said to me, she was like, you know, you're a member of the, um, what is it? Divinely discontented club, <laughs> you know, yeah. like you, you just, you have, you have this drive that you want to change, make change and that it, it, yeah, you know, I, I like sleeping, but you know, I, I like all this other stuff. I still sleep every now and more. then. You yeah. Know? And, and, you know, I think right, right now is with activism, like there's so many people jumping on the bandwagon. And yes. Activism is, nurtures your soul. And as I explained to everyone at the Women's March that after that first year, you know, it gave everyone this Boost. momentum yeah. for like, you know, the rest of the year mm. to do something. Because um, yeah. they think back about that moment and, and it's powerful, right? Yeah. And, you know, people come to me and they ask or to our groups that we're in and, you know, they're all worried. Like everything's immediate now, you know, mm -hmm. but like we get to say, I, I mean, maybe this is my age, you know, and I get to say now like, okay, hold on. Like, let's figure this out. Right. We don't yeah. need to act right away. Yeah. You know, and so being smart about it, you know, I guess that comes with age, but you know, it's time right now, I think, when we see our rights being completely taken away, you know, 
when when someone when you feel the need to be militant sometimes maybe you should listen to that um yeah, yeah. <laughs> what it's telling you yeah let's, uh, listen to that we do have to take to the streets yeah listen to the ice pick that is forming in your hands right um exactly yeah you know and i was talking i was actually just talking to someone um uh, in the gym and we were talking about uh, I was actually telling her that I was getting an interview and that I was so excited about it and she's like oh my gosh what are you going to talk about things are so hot right now and I was like I'm sure we're going to talk about all kinds of things but and we were a couple other women were standing there and they're like yeah they're like you know you know I, I just how do I get how do I get more involved you know and, and I was like well I said you know on a base level there's you know you can always help with money and funding you know ACLU and Planned Parenthood and those kinds of places and stuff and they were like you know what else and I was like well I said you know what I'm going to pose that question to John and I had a couple of things but I'm curious like for, our, for the listeners you know and also two points that question but also I know that people People are afraid sometimes to bring up these topics because they are very volatile and they are worried about their jobs. They're worried about, you know, not losing, losing clients. And, and I, I, I just, I'm like, I want to have us be authentic. I want to have us have integrity. How do you talk to people about balancing how your passion and not losing a job and, and those sorts of things. You know what I mean? For people who want to get involved, but her like, I'm not sure how. So I know that was a lot, but I, I know you got it. No. <laughs> so number one, how you want to get involved. If you're asking yourself that question, you're asking yourself the right question. Yes. Um, and let me tell you some things that we can do. Um, there's always, if you live in LA, there's a, a zillion democratic clubs that make it so easy for you. Join Stonewall if you want, you know, yeah. or, you know, or Heart of LA Democratic Club if you love feminists. It's the only feminist democratic club in Los Angeles County. Or, you know, start your own group. I mean, Moms Demand Action was something that wasn't there until, you know, right. yeah. it needed to be. And that's mm -hmm. why it's so powerful because it's people that come from all walks of life around an issue that's bipartisan, gun yep. control. That, yep. that doesn't have a democratic i mean we, i know people like to think of it that way but it's not um so how do you get more involved is you know you got to do a little bit of research too i mean we again you know this we meet people all the time that are like i'm mad about this and i'm mad about that and i want to do this and i want to do that it's like okay I, you know my academic side what do you actually want to do right. oh so you want to you want to fight against police brutality well you should go to a local black lives matter meeting and really sign up and learn about white privilege institutional racism and get involved and be a supporter and an ally and stand in solidarity and your life will be changed forever right yep. oh you care about reproductive justice well let me introduce you to Planned Parenthood or NARAL or, you know, all these organizations that do all this type of work. I mean, there's there's so many out there. It's not just always the big ones, right? Yep. And it's also just sometimes showing up to a meeting. Activism yeah. is about showing up It's yeah. and being there. And then it is also about doing stuff. Don't get me wrong. But mm -hmm. people that are activists aren't always the loudest in the streets. They're yep. not always, you know, the most crazy on social media posting every five <laughs> seconds, you know, like yeah. some people are. But yep. activists are those sometimes that are those silent types um, that change life with their words. You know, um, I don't want to out my end of my friend that this story belongs to. But, you know, uh, I think after the 2016 election, they they weren't really a, a 
take to the streets and march person, but mm-hmm. they're an amazing letter writer. And I remember, uh, do you remember that whole electoral college yeah. thing where people are writing to all those individuals? Mm-hmm. Well, she writes a mean letter, um, <laughs> like mean as an amazingly, wickedly worded perfectly. And yeah. that's why she's incredible. And that was her activism. And that's beautiful, right? And I think that that's the type of activism that we need. And also we need activism happening all over the country. We need it in Alabama. We need it in Georgia. We need it in Wisconsin. And a lot of that times it starts with a conversation. So who do you know that the 2016 election, maybe in your family or in your friend group, caused great rift, right? I know it happened to me with my family. And that's, you know, bringing up your second question of how do we really talk about this stuff? Yep. They don't want us to talk about this stuff. They don't want us, and I say they as the proverbial other side of the coin of people that are doing these awful things like Trump and his cronies, right? They don't want us to talk to each other. They want that line there. Now, I'm not going to lie. I, too, have stopped talking to people in my personal and professional life and because I believe a line was kind of drawn in the sand and Mm -hmm. the people that really chose to jump over it it's really hard for me to see them in a different light now. I, and I think we have to be, we have to stand in that light and honesty. Um, yep. Because if we don't, we forget the past and we forget really how hurtful all the stuff that's been done since then really comes about. So we need people to, to talk to people and not be afraid to bring up these issues. And maybe they haven't before, maybe they did. And how can we mend old wounds? And how can you also, you know, self do self-care at the same time don't don't bring it up at christmas usually or you know thanksgiving <laughs> yes. uh, maybe sometimes it is and it's okay to it's okay to you know to, if someone says something horribly racist at your thanksgiving table you should say something first of all but you know i think what we need to do is we need to make sure you know it would be great to 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 bring back this divide and come back together i mean i've oftentimes thought about reconnecting with my family members but you know i don't know how much i can sacrifice my morality because they they haven't seen the error that they caused so you know there's things that we have to grapple with but i think that you know obviously don't bring up politics in a work setting is really hard especially if you work for a corporation because you never know who voted for who and also sometimes like there's whole legality issues but you know there's nothing wrong with setting lines and boundaries and saying like i'm not going to work with someone that i'm seeing do x y or z that's completely fine um you just have to be wary that you know that's a different world right now yeah absolutely i mean activism like you were saying can be on so many levels you know writing writing a letter up to being front and center at a march or helping with policy and all of that stuff i think you know i I love what you said especially you know that i had some of those family and friend members as well and i think that there's so much in it's like how you as a person hold yourself in the world and put yourself out there in the world. And, you know, sometimes it's even, it's like, how do we, if you're, if you happen to be a parent, you know, what's going on at your kid's school and uh, being an, an advocate there, you know, when our kids are young is, is huge or at, you know, at your curves workout class or whatever, you know, like all of those things, I think you're right. If we don't have these conversations, if we don't reach across the divides, then we're never going to, come together we're just going to continue to be split apart and i i agree with you that that's um keeping people not talking apart and at each other's throats is attack is a tactic 
it's a smart tactic, you know? Um, and, and it works, it, sadly. I know, it does work, you know? I kind of, you know, I, I was thinking about you today, obviously, because we were going to do this, and I was, like, looking, and I was watching a few... Like, I, I was like, hmm, have many people posted on, on say, Facebook and, you know, about this, about Al- Alabama and Georgia. And it's been interestingly quiet, I got to say, in certain realms of my life. And I'm like, huh, interesting. And, you know, I, I do feel like that this is a, and you you know better than I in, in many ways, but I feel like this is sort of a test for, that it's about these states, but this is a test to see if, how the country would feel if the Supreme court actually got rid of Roe versus Wade, you know, like is the uproar big enough about these two States doing this? I don't know. Maybe, you know what I mean? The answer is yes. I mean, to every person that cried on election night, not just because Trump was elected, but because they knew reproductive freedom and the right to privacy, which by the way, LGBTQ rights are completely based off of. Mm -hmm. I'm really sorry. Um, I'm really sorry because these laws, and they were written this way, and they've had press statements. Like the Alabama law, the person who wrote it said, because the Supreme Court has changed under the supreme leadership of Donald Trump, blah, 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 blah. Like we know that we can finally overturn Roe v. Wade. Neil Gorsuch stole that Supreme Court seat. The Supreme Court of the United States of America is now a partisan body of the political system. It is not a check and it is not a balance because you can now determine the outcome of almost every decision based on the letter um, of the president that appointed the justice. Hmm. Brett Kavanaugh was an accused rapist from multiple people, not just Dr. Blasey Ford. That is disqualifying. Um, I don't know if I can support Joe Biden because he gave us Clarence Thomas. I mean, (laughs) people vote in elections for whatever candidate they want. And yes, I have a Hillary tattoo on my body and I obviously am a Hillary person. (laughs) But in 2012, I was saying this is about the Supreme Court. This is about the rights that we are trying to win and achieve. This is about the whole kit and caboodle, right? Right. And so these, if people think that Roe v. Wade is going to be safe, they are mistaken. These are direct attacks to Roe v. Wade. And it's either going to be a death by a thousand cuts to say all these restrictive laws are fine, literally fine, Mm -hmm. um, or it's bye-bye. Um, And if you follow the Supreme Court because you're a big nerd like I am Uh um, and you read certain decisions, they just overturned like a 40 year precedent in regards to tax law. They, you know, the thing about stare decisis, which is, you know, the aspect of a precedent is that, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So unless there's some exact reason to overturn such longstanding past precedent, you don't. Um, And in a dissent, you know, Justice Breyer said Casey is next, basically, meaning Casey, you know, for Roe, I mean, all these things that you saw, that's coming. And, that you know, Roe is a very long precedent, precedent case. And so it's it's happening. And and when we start living in a, you know, scarily enough, a, a Gilead type state, like a la Handmaid's Tale, Remember that. Remember in 2020, you're not just like, you know, the whole thing about Trump and why he got all these people is, you know, he he posed the question, what do you have to lose? And to those people that voted for him, I think he's clearly depicted what do you got to lose, right? From 
to raid tariffs, to taxes, to fights for healthcare. I mean, you name it. You got a lo- you lost a lot, right? And so mm-hmm. right now, all of us are sitting here, and it's hard for us because we're biting our tongues, not trying to say "I told you so," and we're in the midst of a you know a presidential primary on the Democratic side, where I think we're up to three thousand four hundred and sixty-seven candidates running so far. <laughs> um, I yes. And I don't know how big they're going to get them all on that stage. Maybe we'll have risers or something, right? But, you know. Right. Um, like Beyonce's homecoming, you know, like everybody. Oh, I mean, yeah. first of all, Queen Bee, bow down. We can do that. I yes. would live for that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, uh, Roe v. Wade is, I mean, if you, if I were a betting man, yeah, in four years, it's gone. In three years, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's scary because we have to make sure that we, and it goes back to the states then, right? So Roe v. Wade, let's say it's overturned completely. Then it goes back to the states. So there are these things called trap laws that are passed in states that are basically um, targeted, targeted, restricted abortion providers, laws, whatever. I, I, I don't think I got the acronym right. But th- there are laws that basically the moment Roe v. Wade is overturned, it makes abortion completely illegal in that state. Right. And if you Google, I encourage everyone here to Google, like just trap laws in the United States and just look at the map and see how many states actually have them. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a lot, amount, like 23 plus. Yeah. Right. And then you look at the blue states that don't, that have actually codified Roe within their own constitutions, like California, New York just did it, for example, yeah. Washington. Um, what's going to happen to those people? 23 million women will lose the, will lose the right to their own bodily autonomy yeah. if Roe is overturned. That's a big 23 number. Million. 23 million. Wow. And that's nonpartisan. That, I mean, think about just the economic impact of 23 million women in an apocalypse-like scenario where Roe is overturned. And as you and I both know, mm-hmm. it's not going to stop people from getting abortions. Oh, no, it's just... It's not going to stop no. people from doing this. No, no. And abortions are down. You know, and because yeah. reproductive health care and preventative sex yes. education works. Yes. But we just forget that sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Thank you for answering that, because I feel like I have a lot of people in my life who ask me those questions. And um, I have I had I had some of your goodness and I have a little bit more on that. So thank you. I appreciate that. I'm always happy to learn a little bit more about how to how to how to help other people find their way in this and and what we need people to can doing. always email me or tweet me at yeah. jay erickson 85 on twitter i'm always happy to tweet back at you and provide you yeah. in the right way to yeah. get involved yeah thank you for that that's terrific i know all of, all of your goodness will be in the show notes of how they can get a hold of you and all the great organizations and stuff um, yes of course i have one more and then i'm gonna let you let you run along to oh my goodness all the things you were doing um but i know you also you are also a podcaster and um uh, yes oh my god and that is i love it i was like pop culture well oh i should say pop culture theologians if i was saying it correctly yeah tell everybody about that because that's super fun yeah so um you know academia these days is a little troubling right mm-hmm. i i'm i love teaching and i go back and i teach at my undergrad my uh, graduate school and i love teaching but it, i discovered it wasn't what i wanted to do i mean i was in this government politics and policy realm yeah and so i, I feel very blessed that way because you know i i can still love teaching without growing bitter about it yeah um 
But, you know, a lot of people are, are asking themselves, well, what do I do with my degrees, you know, when yeah. I'm done um, teaching or getting my degree and I don't want to really teach, right? And, you know, I started a podcast with my friend after we started a website called The Engaged Gaze, not G-A-Y-S-G-A-Z-E, gaze, uh, engagedgaze.com. <laughs> um, and where we really wanted to take our academic degrees where we were in all these classes and learned all this highfalutin stuff right um Mm. but really how do we break down like pop culture because of its like serious impacts and how it shapes society and what we do and how we do and obviously when you look at culture and society and what we watch i mean you name it like from religious iconography to you know sociological norms to every everything that's there um we really need you know, to look at other options. And we're like, let's start doing a podcast where we take a show every season and just break it down. We'll be shady. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do all the great things that we love to do, like all, uh, you know, RuPaul style glass of wine, you Yay. know, have a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, the library is open. Um, and so <laughs> we are just finishing up season three of the show. Now we, um, this past season recap game of Thrones, that little old show on HBO. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, and we just really go each episode and um, my podcast partner who lives in Florida, she's going to move back to California, but she lives in Florida. So we do it every week. And it's a great way for us to stay in touch, too, because she's one of my closest friends. Sure. But it's a great way for us to engage in this whole level of like academic discipline that's in the academy, um, as well as kind of out there in the Twitter, Twitter sphere. And, you know, it's talked about in journals and, and bring it more to like the masses in the ways in which we break stuff down for like you know, these fun shows that everyone loves and like, okay, so let's really take a different lens and, and look at it. Right. And so it's been a whole new realm and like advertising and marketing and all this crazy stuff and all these people we interact with. And it's been a lot of fun. That's super cool. Yeah, I know. In my spare time. In your spare time. I know. Well, you know what? Spare time is for other people. But anyway, (laughs) I know I was like, I just got my DragCon ticket, so I'm very excited to go see um, Mama Ru and all the queens. I went last year and it was amazing. So yeah, I'm super excited about that. Oh, awesome. Well, hey, I I think you're amazing and I'm so happy. And Zoe, if you're listening, thank you so much. I just am so happy to have you as a part of my life and I learn a lot from you and I also just... I think it's terrific what you're doing in the world and appreciate uh, the time and energy you're putting into it. It's so needed. And thank you really. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And I'm so glad we met and we're going to be doing lots more together. Yes. I'm just so glad that, you know, we're able to take this time, you know, and, and, and talk to each other, you know, when it seems like the world's falling down, we always find, you know, the ways to pick ourselves back up is to talk with a friend. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. That's awesome. Well, thank you again, John. And we'll put everything in show notes so you can find out about all these organizations that we talked about and um, ways to get involved and um, all on and talking to John directly on Twitter, because I know you're super active. So that's fun. So I'm a, I have a mean retweeting, retweeting <laughs> finger, to say the least. <laughs> Tippity tappity, that's great. Tippity tappity. <laughs> awesome. It takes a little bit more to share it on Facebook, so Twitter's the way to go. Yeah, okay. Yes, that, that's what I, I noticed on your, that, that's the way you're so, <laughs> so shall. So, cool. All right. Well, everyone, uh, thank you again, John, for being on. 
And uh, we have another Mavens Do It Better podcast in the bag. And you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify and on the Mavens Do It Better website. And wishing you another big, beautiful day on this big, beautiful spinning sphere. Thanks, everybody. The original music on this podcast was created by Jesse Case.